less than an hour past the Golden Gate Bridge, you'll find maybe the most iconic post-production facility in the entertainment industry. It's called Skywalker Ranch, and I drove up there recently to meet with Al Nelson, supervising sound editor and sound designer on Top Gun Maverick. Nelson's work on the film is cleaning up the awards circuit, and it's nominated for an Oscar this year for Best Sound. 30 plus years of service. Combat medals, citations, only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. Skywalker Ranch is where the sounds of Top Gun Maverick all came together. The ranch is the culmination of George Lucas's vision for a sound studio that can also double as a scenic filmmaker's retreat. And the roads to get there, they seem to go on forever through Northern California's rolling green hills. It really was a thrilling trip for me. I had a concentration in sound design during my own schooling, and I was long ago taught that sound is 51% of a film. Much of the work in sound design is subconscious. There's a subtlety and a humility involved in the craft that I find fascinating. As I got inside the ranch, I passed by acres filled with cows and vineyards, and even a small man-made body of water called Lake Ewok. And at the end of the road is a large rustic building called Skywalker Sound. This is where Al works, and it's where we met up for our conversation. Hello, my name is Al Nelson. I create, select, discuss, venture to establish sounds that help tell the story that the filmmaker is trying to tell with their film. I'm Joe Skinner, and this is American Masters Creative Spark. In each episode, we bring you the story of how artists bring their creative work to life. For today's episode, Al Nelson gives an inside look into the history of sound design at Skywalker Ranch and into his own creative process. Although Al Nelson seems to be affectionately known around these parts as the dinosaur and jet sky for his extensive sound designs on Jurassic World and Top Gun Maverick, he also has a 27-year body of work that navigates the subtle needs of all kinds of films. Everything from major commercial movies like Knives Out, to documentaries like 20 Feet from Stardom, to animated classics like WALL-E and Toy Story 2. In all films, and even in documentaries, we are adding and selecting and being very meticulous about what sounds are heard and when. Like I worked on the film Knives Out and Marta, the character in the film, she gets in this little beat up little car and she's on a police chase. We record that model of vehicle and we make sure we've got that. But then you sit with the filmmaker and he's like, eh, that's not fun. You know, it's gotta be extreme. The police SUVs are gonna be these big V8s and they, we make them extra powerful. And then this little car that she's in, you know, we actually ended up using like Vespa motors. You know, you find the worst sounding cars, but with personality and you get them to rev to extremes. And, 
you attach that to that vehicle. And if you're doing your job right, then you're telling the story and you're also being authentic in that it's believable. The scene is believable and it's fun. Uh, so it's stuff like that that give musicality and emotional context to the sonic landscape. Go, go, go! Are you, are you flooring it? I am literally flooring it! But before Al Nelson developed this large body of work, before he knew anything about sound design at all, in fact, he was a college grad out of Florida State on a much different path. I was more a music person growing up. I played instruments, mostly guitar, played in bands, studied music. So that's kind of where my passion was. From my early days, I took for granted that there are artists who take the time to select what sounds are heard in a film at, at each moment. And one just assumes that, okay, well, there were microphones on set, and so what we hear was, was there. Nonetheless, after school, Nelson found his way to San Francisco, looking for work in new forms of media, after a friend convinced him that the Bay Area was the right place to be. I met a studio owner who let me join the team as an intern. And I learned the, the way all sound interns should learn. I learned how to make coffee and go out and get the muffins and, and then set up the studio and clean it up and then slowly learned how to set up the microphones and, and worked my way into learning digital systems and all of that. And so from there, I heard about this fantastic facility, Skywalker Sound, which I knew nothing about. From there, I was able to start on the ground floor as well. Al gave me a quick tour of Skywalker Sound, which doubles as a tour through memory lane for him since he spent the better part of 27 years in this very space. There's a 300-seat screening room, a giant recording studio for full orchestras, and machine rooms where Al spent his time on projects like Jurassic Park, The Lost World, back in the mid-90s. It's certainly another iconic film known for its sound design. Pushing us over the cliff. Oh my God. When I set out, I was going to do music. And then to me, it was a big left turn because now I was doing sound for film. And initially, I was really more of a technician. I was loading up the mag machines and loading in dailies from production and doing a lot of more technical things. We took a peek in one of those machine rooms to take a look at the old tape decks. Unsurprisingly, they weren't there anymore. And then even as I got more into sound editorial and then sound design, it seemed more literal and more functional to me. But once I arrived here and started to meet people and started to learn more about what film sound was, I became just enamored and, and obsessed with getting to know these people and their you know creative process. And I was in the machine room and I was just fascinated seeing Gary Rydstrom go between his sound design room and the mix stage and creating these dinosaurs and seeing what sound design can actually be up close, which was, was all just an, an enigma to me up until then. Gary Rydstrom was the sound designer who came up with the iconic sounds you've come to know and love from Jurassic Park 
and its sequel, imaginatively combining whale songs, donkey sounds, and other unlikely animals to create the bellow of a brachiosaurus. They're singing. And the roar of the T-Rex, with a mix of a baby elephant, a tiger, and an alligator. As I worked my way out of uh, the machine room as a technician, ultimately this is sort of the, the ladder here at Skywalker where you first learn how the process is and then you learn all the gear and you learn how it all operates and then you start to get opportunities to be more creative. And so one of the positions I was given was assistant sound designer and that involved working for the sound designer and primarily gathering sounds for them for whatever the project was. I was fortunate to work with the Gary Rydstrom on Toy Story 2, for example. Uh, Zerg and Buzz have a big battle on an elevator. Hurry, I can hear it coming! <gasps> so, we meet again, Buzz Lightyear. Gary said, go find uh, and record lots of elevator sounds. And back then, we had the internet, but it wasn't the internet of today. You know, you basically could get phone numbers and then you'd call all these people. And so I remember calling these buildings and asking to speak with the, the building maintenance people and saying, hi, can I come and record the inner workings of your elevator? <laughs> like, what? I remember going to some high rises in San Francisco and Super exciting. I'd bring my microphone rig. They'd stop the elevator and you'd get in on top where all the cables are and you ride and nothing. It's like, shh. <laughs> this isn't interesting at all. Those elevators were too clean. Then I remember going to the UC Berkeley campus on a Sunday when nobody was there and getting on all those old clanky elevators. And I couldn't get on top of them, but I remember getting inside of them and I would actually jump up and down and just get as much of the more quirky sounds that those elevators made as I could. And then ultimately, it's not always the sound that you think you need, it's the sound that works best for the scene. We had at my house one of those old spring garage doors with the big giant springs. And I remember opening and closing that garage door and slamming it and taking a ball-peen hammer and banging the springs and getting all of these heavy steel clangs and clanks. And Gary did what he did. I just gave him all this material. Quick, get on! The emergency hatch, come on! We found a guy who had this big, giant Cadillac for Al's Cadillac. It's all animated, but he drives this big, ugly Cadillac and he steals the toys and they end up in the trunk of the car. <laughs> you, my little cowboy friend, are gonna make me big bucks. <laughs> and so we went out and we recorded this Cadillac out on the side streets here in Marin County. And we had an intern, and she was 
eager to get in the trunk and record from inside the trunk while we drove the car around. This car was so old and beat up, we couldn't get the trunk back open again. We were finally able to, and just after that, we got pulled over by the local sheriff for <laughs> peeling out on the side roads of Marin County. I can't believe I have to drive all the way to work on a Saturday. All the way to work! Those are just a few of the many sound adventures working for Gary Rydstrom. So much fun just getting out of the office and, 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 and hunting for sounds. And that was the early days of learning that the world is full of sounds and you, you got to go out there and get, get your rig and, and just listen and get lots and lots of flavors and colors and then go back to the studio and, and see what you can do with them. And so when I sit with Gary Rydstrom, he just gets so excited with new sounds and with the way sounds can tell stories. Uh, he's been doing this much longer than me, and, and yet it's all still new and exciting to him. These are people who have such a cinema history. They're icons in sound. They're just an encyclopedia of experience. And they're so generous and genuine in the way they interact with you. They just are so passionate about that form of storytelling, and it's contagious. Sound designers like Gary Rydstrom are, as Nelson says, icons of sound. Leading up to today with Al Nelson himself, these artists learn from each other's work here at Skywalker Sound. And no person in this creative field has had a more storied legacy than Ben Burt, I've been at Skywalker for 27 years, and embarrassingly, when I came here, I knew nothing about the history. I embarrassingly didn't know who the sound designer was for Star Wars until I was in the house that was basically built for him. Ben Burt was really the man who started it all here at Skywalker Sound. He's actually one of the first people to ever call themselves a sound designer and he's responsible for some of the most iconic sounds from Star Wars. I called myself a sound designer because I really wasn't functioning just as a production recordist or just a sound editor or just a sound mixer. I did some of the job uh, that all three of those people might do. Not only was Ben Burt an inventive sound effects artist, but he was a voice actor too. He even voiced the heavy breathing sound of Darth Vader in the original films. Ben Burt, who George recruited from UCLA straight out of college, to create the sounds for Star Wars is one of the most generous and genuine and kind people I've ever met. We have a volleyball court at Skywalker and he got these volleyball games going. So that's how I first got to really know Ben was playing volleyball. I was kind of an up and coming sound effects editor. I was kind of straddling the line, but he was asked to do Steven Spielberg's film Munich and it was really late in the process. And I remember him coming in and sitting with me in my office and saying, 
let's just get to know each other. And we just talked about who we were and where we came from and, and what we liked about movies and what we liked about other things. And it was kind of just a, let's get on the same page. Let's, let's have a dialogue so that we can then communicate from there. And then from there, he, you know, he was juggling all these reels and all of these different things, but he knew exactly what sounds needed to help tell the story. And he was guiding me as to what to focus on. He was coming at it from, you know, as Spielberg's ears and also as a filmmaker himself and as a storyteller guiding me. And gosh, you can know everything inside and out of Pro Tools and all the bells and whistles of every sound box in the world, but that's the kind of guidance that is invaluable. He sat through a screening with us on Top Gun and had incredible insight. And his his son, Benny Bird, is one of my best friends, and I call him my secret weapon. Benny is who I spent weeks with, including on the aircraft carrier, recording jets for Top Gun. So it's a family affair and two incredible people. As Al Nelson grew through these working relationships, he became a bona fide sound designer, carving out his own legacy, leading sound design efforts on projects like How to Train Your Dragon and Jurassic World, among countless others. This path led him to our present moment with his own Oscar-nominated work alongside director Joe Kaczynski on this year's Top Gun Maverick. Fortunately, we've worked with Joe Kaczynski here at Skywalker since Tron, so we were able to chat about it in very, very early days. And one of the earliest conversations was the Jets are key to that film and to the soundtrack. And we should get as much material as we possibly can. You want a full palette of sounds. And with Jets, they have many different personalities. And depending on how you record them, where you record them, their perspective. So we would spend a lot of time recording, and not just Jets, but as much material as we could record for Top Gun Maverick, even before production started. So that by the time the filmmakers working on their director's cut, we've already got a library, we've already worked through creatively what sounds better, what doesn't sound good. We've really had a chance to define our palette. So in working with the producers, we knew that they were going to be shooting some early stuff out on the USS Abraham Lincoln. So my colleague Benny Burt and I flew out to Virginia Beach and deployed on the carrier for a week out into the Atlantic. We were taken to all nooks and crannies of the carrier to record from the front of the boat, the bow safety area, where the, where the jets launch right over your head from the catapults. We were below the deck where you hear the jets land in the cable room where these massive hydraulic systems retain the cable and then rewind the cable for the next jet arriving. Incredible machinery with incredible sounds and incredible personality. And then you have the jets circling overhead, coming into land, launching. And we have both F-18s and F-35s, as well as prop planes and helicopters. You know, it could just be kind of same, same. But 
it, it wasn't because we had so many different flavors and so many different options and so many different opportunities to change it up and create the palette that then became these jets and the story that we were telling sonically. The other thing that I think is important isn't just gathering the sounds onto our hard drives and having that material, but it's being present and experiencing what it's like to be a naval aviator, sitting at luncheon and dinner with these women and men who fly these machines and talking to them about it, what it's like, what it's like to fly the jets and how complicated is it and what's the most dangerous thing you've had to do and experiencing being that proximal to a jet as it launches, which is pretty hard to reproduce. It goes right through your body, it's visceral. So all of that is as instructive as actually just gathering the sounds. Throughout Al Nelson's creative process, he needs to understand the emotional through line of the storytelling and keep a bigger picture in mind. Having a solid sense of character is an important part of this process. One of the very important things we learned on Top Gun was from Tom Cruise, who was very invested in the film in all aspects, as one can imagine, including in the soundtrack, and he spent a lot of time with us. The way he perceives the film is both from the audience, but also as Maverick. So you have to understand Maverick and Goose and Phoenix and all of these characters. When Phoenix's plane is on fire, what is it like to be Phoenix? You know, engine fire left, engine fire right. You know, we, we don't necessarily need to hear radio communications. You know, we don't necessarily need to hear the thruster. We need to hear the alarms and the danger. So understanding how to tell the story and to tell the story from the character's perspective and from the perspective of the audience viewing and investing in the character. And is our sound helping that relationship or is it distracting from that relationship? We don't need all those ambiences. We don't need the sound of the thrusters when we're in the cockpit. And Rooster is saying, Dagger one, come in. I didn't see a parachute. We have to circle back. And Phoenix is saying he's gone. He's gone. You can't get him. Dagger, you are not to engage. Repeat. Do not engage. Dagger two, return to carrier. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Rooster, those bandits are closing. We can't go back. Rooster, he's gone. Maverick's gone. A more literal sound person might have some big jet rumble or wind or, you know, who knows what, PA coming in, beeps, etc. And that's not the moment there. And so it's, it's knowing what sounds to play and the right sounds to play, and also knowing when not to play any sound. You could make it this chaotic scene, but that's not the moment. In You're in Rooster's head there, and Maverick has been killed. And so the sonic decision there is to play just that dialogue. And you'll notice that Phoenix's 
voice in that it's slightly distorted in just the right way and has this desperation to it. And, and you've got, you know, Rooster, just, just his breaths and Phoenix, and that's all you need there. So the decision there for sound is just to, to play it from Rooster's perspective. And so that's all we need to be paying attention to. And that's our storytelling with sound. And it doesn't sound like that in real life, but uh, as we started this conversation, uh, we decide what sounds to play and when to play them based on what's best for the story. And in that case, that's what the story needed is just their breaths. Over time, more and more, I start to realize that the skills that I gathered early on as a musician and as a composer apply very directly with sound design, especially something like orchestration. You don't often listen to music where every instrument is playing all the time. Uh, you have moments where you crescendo to full orchestra, but you know the violin takes the theme, and then the flute takes the theme, and then the cellos take the theme, or you know just the horns play, and then just the strings play. In the same way, there are places in sound for film where you just need to hear the voices. You just want to hear the things that are helping tell the story, the themes. Our goal is that it feels natural. It feels like it belongs. It feels like it's meant to be that way. If you do it intentionally and, and based around the story, then it just feels like that's the way it's supposed to be. It's all about doing your job convincingly. Thank you so much to Al Nelson for inviting me up to Skywalker Ranch and spending the better part of his day with me to show me around. American Masters Creative Spark is a production of the WNET Group, media made possible by all of you. This episode was produced by me, Joe Skinner. Our executive producer is Michael Cantor. Original music is composed by Hannes Brown. This episode was mixed and mastered by Josh Broom. Funding for American Masters Creative Spark was provided by the Rosalind P. Walter Foundation, Taya Pechik Irvolino Foundation, the Anderson Family Fund, Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, and the Philip and Janice Levin Foundation. Thanks. See you soon.